enterprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my team. Welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's episode is with Kyle Merber. Kyle is a professional athlete, a professional runner who specializes in the mile. And while that is not typically the guest for this sort of uh, podcast and this sort of episode, the key here is that he is also the person that runs the Long Island Mile. And by say runs it, he organizes it. And this is a kind of a regional slash national meet that is just very unique in the running circles where you get some of the best runners in the country to come out to like a local high school track on Long Island. And there's an unbelievable community support. The atmosphere is incredible. And it's just this unbelievable amalgamation of high level running with grassroots organization and support. And it really is a truly remarkable thing. And I wanted to get Kyle on this podcast to talk about it because oftentimes, not only in this podcast or other podcasts, but just in general, people talk about the disparity between people who love to run, but who don't necessarily follow high level running. And that's a unique proposition in American sporting culture. Like you don't see many people who say, Hey, I love playing pickup basketball, but I don't follow college or NBA bas- basketball. Like, it just doesn't happen. And the same can be said for just about every other sport, except for running, where that's almost the standard, where you f- see very few people who, you know, who run on a consistent level and also are diehard about the professional ranks and following exactly what is happening. So I want to talk to Kyle about what he's doing, why he's doing it, how he's doing it, and how we can expand on this concept in a way that connects the amateur hobby runners who are you know dedicated in their own way to people who are at the other end of the spectrum of the sport, who are running at a high level and doing it in such an organic way. So I really appreciate Kyle coming on this podcast to talk about it. Before we get into it, I want to talk about Tune Up CBD. They've been sponsoring this podcast for a while, and I've had you know a lot of you know basically I've trusted them for a while now. I was kind of antsy about doing the CBD thing just because it was. I just wasn't sure what to expect. You know, I saw and have read about some of the research around CBD and how it can help with anti-inflammatory, um, basically stuff like that. And you know, I shouldn't say anti-inflammatory, anti-inflammation and, uh, and various other things, but I was not dead set on it until I've had a couple of doctors who I've gotten to know really well say, Hey, I prescribe this to my patients instead of Advil for a variety of different things. And I think you should give it a try. And that's when I started using it. And I've been a big fan of it. And ever since spraining my ankle a couple of weeks ago, and it's still lingering, using the CBD salve on my ankle has really helped. And it's funny, I go to this physical therapist in Rhode Island who was used by some of the best runners in the world. And it's just, you know, look at the draw. He happens to have an office 10 minutes from where I work. It's just really lucky like that. And when I talked to him the first time, he said, hey, if you want to really, you know, cut down on the inflammation here and do it in a good way, use uh, CBD salve instead of using ice. That's definitely the preferred method. And here I am. I already have some in my house. So it's worked well. Thank you, Tune Up CBD, uh, for that. If you want to, if you want to try your own CBD oil or salve, you can go right to their website and use code RAMBLING 
to save some cash as well. So give them a shot, tune up CBD, use code rambling to save extra on your purchase. Now, here's my episode with Kyle Merber. Hey, Kyle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I really wanted to have you on because not only is the Long Island Mile such an unbelievable event that you are such a big part of, and it's something that's really grown since 2016, but I got to be honest, in the spring, when I was about to do Funny Funny Running Stories Episode 3, and we end up having Colleen Quigley co-host the episode, where we basically read Funny Running Stories and then provide commentary on it, a lot of people reached out and said, hey, you need to have Kyle Merber be the co-host for this. He'd be great. Oh, man. Well, I'm sure Colleen was pretty good at something like that herself. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I'm always down for some commentary. Well, and, 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 the, and the, you always bring the humor, too, which is, I love how like you share that in your various social media channels as well. Um, so first of all, thank you for doing everything you're doing. And I can't wait to talk about the Long Island Mile and what you guys have been doing to create such a wonderful event. In your, you know, kind of in your home area of Long Island. Uh, but before you know, we dive into what transpired this year and how it's grown. What was the original mission and why it was created in the first place? Yeah, so this year was the fifth year that we did it. So uh, 2015 was actually I got that right, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah, it was the first year that we did it. And so I partnered with Saville Running Company, which is the local running store that I actually used to work for. Um, out of high school. And the owner, Brendan Barrett, and I used to just sit around the store talking shop about track. Both of us just huge running nerds from a young age. And we always, you know, just kind of chat about some of the things that we wanted to do in the sport or some cool ideas that we had. And doing like a, a night of miles was always one of them. And then I became a professional runner a few years later and joined up with Hoka as my personal sponsor. And then the store had been growing and doing really well. And so we finally saw the opportunity to put two and two together. And when you were coming up with this concept and bringing it to fruition, what was it like to try to drum up support for an event that had never happened before in an area which isn't necessarily like I mean there's plenty of good runners in the New York New York metro area but it's not as if y'all are based out of like Flagstaff or Boulder or Bend or something like that Yeah so I mean I think when you're putting together a first time event you just need someone or multiple people who really just believe in your idea. And our idea was bringing professional running to the community and the local level and just connecting the two worlds of the sport. Because I think if you go to your local golf course and you ask anyone to name their favorite golfer, you can get 20 names. But if you go to your local track and you ask someone to name who their professional runner is, favorite professional runner is, you might get Usain Bolt, who is <laughs> now retired. And so we, we wanted to kind of bridge that gap. And luckily, Hoka really believed in the idea and financially made it responsible. And then with the community support, they just rallied behind it. What, what you just laid out in terms of the name recognition and how people connect to the elites of the sport, uh, especially compared to other sports, right? Like if you, if you like, you know, you walk down you know, your same area and say, Hey, who's your favorite basketball player? 
it's it's not going to be like you're going to get one name. It's gonna be, people are going to struggle not because they can't name people because they they can name too many people, right? So yeah, what that's do you, rarely like, an issue for us in track, right? And then, so so with that in mind, a lot more people run, especially as adults, than play basketball. So in your experience, what has been this disconnect? where you have so many people running, but not necessarily so many people following professional running, which you almost never see that in other sports, that dichotomy. Yeah. So I think there's a couple factors involved. I think most people grow up wanting to be a professional basketball player, but then slowly realize that that dream will not be coming to fruition. And then basketball becomes a hobby of theirs. And they still follow the sport and still go to their local rec league and play or shoot around with friends. Whereas running, everyone kind of comes from two angles. You either have people who were forced into it by their parents in middle school because they needed to participate in some sort of afternoon activity. And then you also have people who are a little older and later on in life and then realize you know it takes 10 people to play a game of basketball, but I can stay in shape and I can go running on my own. And they fall in love with it in uh, the second stage of their athletic career. And so you kind of skip over that middle sometimes. Uh, the, the collegiate athlete would generally be the one who's the most connected to the professional runners because oftentimes they were the ones racing against the now professional runners. But everyone else just seems to have kind of gotten lost uh, – or not lost but just found it in – a less traditional path. So yeah, we got to figure out how to get everyone together because everyone loves the sport and participates in it. So why not watch the best? Right. Cause it almost, it almost falls into that same mix in terms of viewership as you see with like, say figure skating or gymnastics where like during elite international competitions, especially during an Olympic year, people are buzzing about it. Right. Like all of a sudden everyone's a household name. And then, you know, three months later, it's as if it never happened in a sense. Right. It's really hard to kind of maintain momentum. Yeah. There are competitions that are going on between the Olympics every four years. And it's funny because when I flip through the, you know, the channels and I see gymnastics on, let's say, in the middle of the year and it's not the Olympics, I often stop and I watch and, I'm still fascinated by it. And I'm same thing with swimming. I'm like, what, what's going on? Like what I didn't realize that there was meets on and part of being a niche sport is that people, you have your diehard fans who are going to buy NBC gold and their runner space and their flow track, and they're going to have all the subscriptions so that they can watch and follow. But it's kind of difficult if you're just a casual fan to even know that anything is going on. Yeah. See, what you say there is so interesting and 100% correct because in like an odd turn of events, running is simultaneously the most popular sport in America and a niche sport, which is like – it's just such a strange thing for one sport to kind of have both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. I mean so there's obviously something there, right? Like people enjoy doing it. We're getting people to pay good money to travel across the world and run – these marathons that are by no means an easy thing to just jump into. So people are doing it and they're loving it for whatever reason. But then on the same side, it's like, well, why can't we get other people to watch? Right. And for you guys doing it in person, right? So you have, you're creating, so you created this 
know, this track meet, so to speak. And why did you, obviously you're a miler, but why did you settle on the mile as the hallmark event um, for this? Yeah. So, you know, I think um, partially to answer my own question is I think that people don't fully appreciate how good the best of the best are. Um, And by having a mile, obviously I'm a miler. So if I'm going to participate in my own event, it'd be nice to do it in the thing that I'm best (laughs) at. But uh, I think everyone's run a mile, whether it's in gym class or for some physical fitness class or something that we're just, you know, because they uh, had to get home from the bars, but everyone's run a mile before. And the idea being that you have the community miles as kind of an opportunity to test yourself before watching the pros. So it's rare that anyone else would get an opportunity to play on, you know, the U S open golf course the same day that tiger woods is going to, but we give that opportunity to people. Like you can compete on the track at the same time as Emma Coburn and the same conditions and everything, same course. And then when you go out and you run a six minute mile, which might be a personal best and is great. Then, you know, when you see the girls run a 425, 426 mile, all of a sudden it really puts things in perspective for you of just how impressive of athletes they are. Right. And as, you know, as inescapable as those time differences are, actually like witnessing the force and speed and agility of elite athletes in person and not only in person, but up close and personal is a completely different experience than either seeing it on TV or seeing it, you know, 200 rows up in the bleachers. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's like the hundred meters, it's like almost too quick to even process how fast they're going. You know it's fast, but how fast? Who knows? It's already over. And then some of the longer distances, it's not like you watch someone pass by you and you're like, all right, they're going like a pretty good distance. But then you kind of have to watch them do it for two hours to really have the like the full grasp of just how impressive of it is, is that they're going. And the mile is kind of like the perfect blend of like you're you're you have enough time to watch and be able to process and see the whole thing. But at the same time, like when a miler passes you by and runs a 57 second quarter, it's still quick. Oh yeah. And you can feel it. And I think that's part of the reason as some of these uh, huge expos at like world marathon majors, you saw, you saw those like the padded Elliot Kipchoge um, treadmills. Like how long can you stay on his pace for? And it's like inevitably less than 10 seconds for just about everyone who steps on them. Yeah. And so I think doing things like that just lends itself to people becoming fans because now they realize just like the heroic effort that is being put out by the individuals up front. And I think, you know, everyone's on their own personal journey And that's like a big part of why people really like running is they're going for their own personal bests and their own weight loss, you know, journey that they've been on and how the the personal and special reasons that maybe they're running the marathon in someone's memory or to raise money for a cause and all that is, you know, is great and very special. But I think now it's our responsibility 
as people who care and love and want to promote the elite side of the sport to make the best of the best stories more accessible because Kipchoge has the same reasons that he's running and also more that are a little different. And so how do you sell that to the crowd so that way when he's sprinting into the finish line or at mile 10, you're invested in how well he's doing? So let's talk about you trying to corral, you know, elites that that you know, either personally or tangentially to to this race, you know, in a sense of like, all right, this isn't like a huge event, right? Obviously, this isn't like someone going, you know, over to Europe and doing the Diamond League or even something that's, you know, maybe a little bit more built up, like going to Peyton Jordan or, or things like that. So what was the selling point for you, especially early on, first, second, third year of trying to say, hey, this is an event and I think that, that you would benefit by doing this, not only are the fans benefiting, and we've talked a little bit about that already, but why does it benefit some of the elite runners you know, going to a race like this? Yeah, so I think in the beginning it was me begging and asking for a favor, <laughs> and um, you know, we we named the men's race in his honor and memory. But David Torrance was one of the guys that I really was like, please, David, like as a buddy of mine, like can you please just come run this event and like make it legit. And that was year one was really just like asking people. And as now I'm, you know, we're an established event and people know that it's a good opportunity to come run fast and it's fun and we got a good crowd and it's a, a something on the calendar that people highlight and know that they want to do way before it happens. But in that first year, like I was asking people to come and now it's almost like squeezing people onto the line or having to turn really great runners down just because of numbers. Um, so, you know, things have changed really quickly. But the other thing is that just where it lies in the schedule is really important. So where is the Wednesday right before the Fifth Avenue mile, which is obviously in New York and just uh, an hour train ride away from where we're hosting our meet just a few days before. So people are already coming to New York. And so it's an opportunity to get one last track race before a road mile and your season ultimately is over. Right. And I think in the Northeast, that three to four week span is really the highlight of the year for just, just the, the, the density of not only uh, high level races, but just the amount of people who are in the area. Cause you have, like you just mentioned, you got the fifth Avenue mile, you have your race, you have the new Haven road race, which is also the USATF 20 K championships. And you have uh Falmouth really in like a three week span. So you probably can get on a lot of people who are going to be at least in the area for, for one of those races. Yeah, well, now in the U.S., so you had mentioned going over to Europe, and the thing is, like, going to the Diamond League races is fantastic and such a good opportunity, but it's rare more than a couple Americans are ever permitted into any of those races. And so some of the B and C level races that we end up getting into in Europe don't actually pay much money, and you end up spending so much money to get over there, and then you get out the the line and you're basically just racing a bunch of other Americans. And so it's a great experience and it's a lot of fun. And some races are definitely better than others, but a lot of the times you're just standing there and you're looking around and you're like, why did we all spend so much money to come over here and race when we could have just stayed stateside and done it ourselves? 
And that's sort of begun to happen where August, September, you have a very nice little mile track circuit of opportunities for people. And then they end up actually paying a lot better. Yeah. So it's nice to have both sides of the coin there, right? Literally and figuratively. So it's not just a matter of convenience, but you can say, hey, there's actually a monetary benefit here. It's not just a matter of you saving money. You can actually make money here as well. Oh, certainly. I mean, um, you know, if you, I've personally had some summers where I was running really great in August and you end up walking away making like a good chunk of change if you finish in the top three a few races in a row. And rather than the sunk cost of a flight to Europe at the very start of it, it's a, a nice way to finish things off. And then the other thing that I guess to our point earlier is we have like the American fans in the community here. And those are the people that are going to be supporting us in the sport, you know, in our own backyards. The majority of the shoe companies are American based shoe companies and their target market is the high school kids of America. Yeah, absolutely. And I just love the pictures that come out of your event, the Long Island Mile are really just so they're just amazing, frankly. Like I think for a lot of people, if they weren't already, you know, if the, if your event wasn't already on their radar, uh, in some sense, I think when when David's unfortunate passing happened, um, some of the pictures that came out, you know, in his honor, I think the you know crossing your finish line was one of the preeminent ones that people saw. Not only because it was you know a great picture of him, and here he is winning a race, which is all well and good, but it was also that communal feeling. I just can't think of a better word around the experience because you saw people on both sides of him finishing and it was just pure joy for literally every person in the photo. So let's just talk about the, the, the communal aspect of how people are viewing the race, because I think for track meets, generally speaking, and that's different than what you guys are putting on, but just how people witness a track meet is kind of like not a bone of contention, but there's a lot of ideas out there about how you can make the in-person viewership uh, of those events, you know, just much, just more enticing for everybody involved. Yeah. So I think an idea is kind of like you put a ton of great events on and it is just like a really fun two hours and then people leave and like had a good experience, but I kind of disagree um, while those events are really fun for the knowledgeable track fan, I kind of think that having an entire meet leading up to one or two races is really like the way to sell the storyline. So we do, in my personal opinion, I'm the one doing it. I think we do a good job like really promoting the individuals that are coming to the race and telling people about them and letting people know far enough in advance like who's coming and how great of athletes they are and why you should root for each individual. And so it's a lot easier and digestible for a fan who maybe doesn't know, you know, all 75, 80 athletes that might be competing across 10 different events. Whereas like, hey, here's, you know, like 20 to 25 people. You already know a few names. I'm only going to introduce you to a few more. And now when you step on the field and you're watching the race, you have a rooting interest. And I just think that it's, Rather than just two hours of nonstop action, it's like a crescendo that kind of builds up to the final event. And I think you see that a lot in fighting, in like combat sports, 
where it's like you have the main event, like this is the heavyweight title, and this is this is why people are here. And there might be other fights that people are watching, and it like gets you excited for the big thing. And that's what I think we do with the community events. And it gets faster and faster, and it's fun, it's entertaining, but you're there for the pro men's and women's mile. And what was it like getting this set up for having the fans literally on the track? Because that's obviously not necessarily going to happen at every meet, nor is it even feasible. But it just seems like what a way to capture that feeling of like, we're all in this together. Um, and just kind of like each side, the competitor and the fans kind of giving each other energy. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's part of selling the experience because people aren't going to especially on a Wednesday night on the first day of school on Long Island, going to sit in traffic for a super long time for just four minutes of fun. But instead, it's like the whole experience of the hype leading into the event and then following. So immediately after the race, like you, we are swarmed by countless high school kids who just want to take pictures and sign autographs. And for the athletes competing, that's a really special experience. But now that's like a unique experience for them because you can't do that at a Diamond League. And now their experience is more than just four minutes of, oh, that was really cool. Instead, like they have their pictures and their autographs and their conversations that they got to have. And it's just a personal interaction. And they walk away feeling like they got more out of the evening. Absolutely. So what was it like this year um, with the expansion of having um, Emily Sisson and Molly Huddle coming in and running the 5K in addition to you know the, your traditional mile events? Um, I guess, w- what was the genesis behind that? Because, I mean, shoot, like what, obviously it was great for your event to have such studs coming down. But what, how did that even come to come to be? Yeah, so that actually almost happened a few years ago. Um, because my agent, Ray Flynn, is also their agent, and they wanted a tune-up race before going over to Doha to compete in the World Championships. And, you know, they didn't want to fly over to Europe and find something. They wanted to just stay close to home. They talked about possibly just doing a time trial on their track in Providence. And which Ray is a which up. is a horrible spot to do a time trial. I live in Providence and oh, I yeah. actually worked at Providence College for 6 years, so I was there when they were building the track and it's so windy in that spot. So I can't even imagine like, you know, having like, you know, obviously you want to have ideal conditions, but it's it's not the best spot for like running your fastest uh, your fastest 5k or mile. Yeah, I mean, I I can't speak to that. All I know is that um I said that we could give them some good energy and a bunch of fans that would love to see them come out and do it. And I assume that they ran a lot faster uh, at the Long Island Mile than they would have at Providence, partially because they had so many people cheering them on. So I think, you know, it's cross country season for the majority of high school kids right now. And to watch some girls come out and run 15 minute 5Ks, probably was astounding to witness and that's a time that will get you in the top you know part of the state for sure for a high school boy and you are watching some girls do this and it probably whips your butt into shape just witnessing it and thinking like i gotta get training now what's your feedback like 
you know, from different segments of the viewing population, whether it's the high school kids, their coaches, or, you know, say people like my age, like so I'm, I'm 38 and I'm, you know, I love to run, but I'm not out there necessarily attending a lot of events like this. So like what's, what's been the feedback from those different segments? Yeah, the feedback's been great. I mean, the coaches who bring their kids out are so thankful and appreciative because it's, they're, they're getting more investment out of their kids as they learn more and more about the sport and they walk away really motivated and excited about it. Um, then I think the other thing that's been really cool is the number of people that are just running the event. Uh, in the beginning, like the first year, it was like we were dragging people out onto the track of like, please run like the community miles. And because it's scary and it's different than running a 5K and you can't hide on a track. And every year those numbers keep going up and up, which is an exciting thing to see because that was our hope initially was that we were going to get a ton of people to come out and just run miles and have that experience for themselves because it's different. You know, it's and it's also not as big of a commitment as a marathon. Uh, and so seeing those numbers grow and for people to be comparing their times from year to year has been a really fun part of the experience. And again, it's like people aren't traveling to just watch a four minute race. They're traveling for the whole evening. Yeah. I mean, you can really just run these kind of spontaneously if you're doing like the kind of the, the open division or like, or however you guys frame it. Like when you go out there and have people like, you know, the everyday runner, like say someone like myself, say I was going to attend the Long Island Mile. Like how many people like would be in my division? Like how how is it segmented for the people who are signing up that day who are not in the elite field? Yeah, so it kind of run like a high school invitational where they're calling out times beforehand of like this section, uh, all 7 to 7.30 milers. And they basically break it up to like, 20 or so people a race depending on the range of the times and it's just like all right well you're going to be on in five minutes and you step on and you just you know you might have a 12 year old girl a 70 year old man and like a 40 year old guy all step on the line and racing each other because they're all trying to break seven minutes for the mile and then as soon as they're done you do it again for 630 milers Oh man, that is fantastic. And I love how you guys do that kind of before the main event. So it kind of builds up um, the the expectation. So you would just go down like, all right, like kind of the slowest heats first, or how do you, how do you segment the order? Yeah. You start with the, the slowest sections first. And when people sign up uh, initially, you know, we kind of let them have some sort of idea. And I think now like people have, they'll look at past year results and see like, all right, you know, if I'm a five minute miler, I'm going to be, you know, maybe the third to last section. And, uh, you know, it's not perfect. Uh, I know personally, it's like, I need to know exactly when my race is because my warm up takes exactly an hour. So I, you know, I need to know I'm starting at nine Oh five PM and, you know, it's, it's one of the you know restraints that we have of the event that we can't necessarily give people quite that much information, but we can give them uh, a rough idea and a fun opportunity. Uh, you know that's why people are there. It's not. I think that's maybe the difference between the pro event and the community event. Now, with the success that you've seen in your race, have you had people reach out to you to try to replicate it, you know, in, in their own communities? Yeah, I actually got a, a 
message yesterday from a coach in Australia who now that I'm reminded I need to respond to, but they <laughs> want to do something like that in Australia and it's like exciting and it's cool. And I really do think it's a replicable idea and concept that people could take elsewhere into their communities. And, you know, if these keep popping up everywhere, then maybe little by little, we have all the communities in the country more invested in track. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it because we talked about this a little bit off air is that, you know, as people get older, they tend to run races that are longer. Right. So you have, you know, the, I remember like the last time I ran a timed mile where like, again, I've done mile repeats and stuff like that. But like, actually, the race is a mile. Go run it. And for me, when I ran track in high school, I was much more on the shorter side. It was like basically eighth grade. Like that was my last timed mile where I went all out. And as people get older, you'll see you know, they go to 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons and the marathons and all of that. So for people who have gone down that path. But may aren't just kind of did it just because of the inertia of, hey, that's what my running group does, or that's what my friends do. What's the benefit or benefits that you see of just staying at some of these shorter distances, um, even though there might not be a prevalence of of you know racing opportunities, but try to not just you know picking up these races spontaneously, but lingering at these distances and say, no, like I'm you know, I'm 45 and I'm gonna really try to improve my mile time, which I, I feel like I don't hear that narrative that often. Yeah, it's it's definitely a more rare thing. And it's funny because Nick Willis actually started coaching a bunch of adults in what he calls the Myler method, which is for exactly that is, you know, people who are no longer in college that want to get better at the mile. And I think it's one thing and I, it makes sense for a lot of reasons to go up in distance. I mean, physiologically, as you get older, your speed does start to deteriorate, whereas aerobically, like you can keep it going for a lot longer. And it's, uh, you know, it's what are people more impressed by? And people are really impressed by running a marathon. And the further and further you go, you get grander and grander reactions from the general public, it would seem, which, you know, is partially justified for sure. But I also think it's equally as impressive to get faster and faster, not just be able to go farther and farther. And so, I mean, the other thing is not everyone has the time or the ability to run the marathon. I think maybe the the former sprinters and the former basketball players might be the ones who find their niche to be, you know, these community miles. But uh, I think ultimately it's what gets you out the door to train and stay in shape. And I think variety is the spice of life for everyone. So, you know, you can do a mile one weekend and, pop into a 5k the next and run a marathon at the end of the month it's all okay yeah for sure and and you know we didn't this wasn't kind of on the plan to, of things to talk about but say you were advising somebody who you know who's been active but say wants to spend the next four months focusing on the mile like what kind of time commitment would that be say like in relation to like all right this is what a marathon training block would look like and i know um just from talking to other people that it's not as necessarily dissimilar as you would think at the highest levels but say just in the the amateur hobby runner level like what what front what kind of conditioning slash training slash time commitment 
would you recommend someone to put in in order to do you know the best they can at that distance over a three to four month span? Yeah, something that we talk about a lot as being you know an elite miler is even just being an elite athlete, and that's everything. Like that's you know the ability to run long, to run short, to be in the gym, to be flexible, and to just be an overall great athlete. And I think that for a recreational runner who's picking up the mile, that that's an opportunity to maybe do a little bit more rather than just marathon training, which is run really far all the time. And on the weekends, you get your 20 miler in. Whereas if you were, if you're a recreational runner trying to run the mile, I would say, you know, having the day where you go to the gym and just lift weights is a, becomes like a really beneficial day that makes sense in your preparation. And then having another day where you go to the track and you run repeats and then you have another day where you just run 30 minutes from home. And then, you know, you can go to the gym and play basketball with your friends and like that would convert more to the mile than it would ever really convert to the marathon. And so I think, uh, people who are just really into like their general fitness that it would make a lot of sense because you could do way more than just repetitive running. Right. Because you have that, you know, building up your anaerobic, um, because your anaerobic ability, as well as just like your strength plays such a bigger part in it because, you know, that, that part of your physiology is much more engaged in the mile than it would be at some of these longer distances. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's not just, did you get all of your miles in? It's, are you just getting fitter and faster? And there's more than one way to get fit. And, you know, so I think people who are just seeking general levels of fitness, like it would be something that makes a lot of sense. And it's fun to go out to the track and try sprinting and doing some repeat intervals rather than just repetitive miles. I like doing both, but for some people, it's a lot easier to just go out and do 200-meter repeats with a minute rest, and that's going to convert to your mile a lot better than it would a marathon. And I think this is an interesting point, too, because there are, there's a certain section of the running community that looks towards obstacle races for like that same sort of variety. Like, okay, I don't want to necessarily just run all the time. What else can I do? And it kind of leaves them away from running competitions, which isn't inherently a bad thing for them personally, but it also allows them if they're so inspired to, again, look at the mile maybe or some of these other races within running specifically as that same sort of opportunity. Yeah. We've had a lot of interest from people the last couple of years who like our CrossFitters that come out and want to do a mile as fast as they can. And I think that they kind of just come from that. They have a similar mindset to a lot of track athletes where it's just like, all right, you know, I lifted 200 pounds last week. I got to run, I got to lift 210 pounds this week. And that's the way milers kind of operate where it's like, all right, well, I ran this fast last week. Well, let's run this fast next week. Whereas I feel like, the marathon is really – it's like people – and this is maybe you know generalizing, but it's people who really just – you have to love running in and of itself to be a marathoner because it's long and it's lonely a lot of the time. Whereas 
that's not for everyone. A lot of people want to challenge themselves day in and day out in a different way, in a more competitive way than just, I ran eight miles yesterday, I got to run eight miles today, and I'm going to run eight miles tomorrow. Um, so yeah, for certain people who have a certain mindset, it might be the thing and the way to motivate them. Yeah, so you either have to love running or you have to be a complete masochist. I think you have to be like one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> from a from a marathoning perspective. They um, often or maybe overlap. both. You, they're not mutually exclusive. Maybe you're both. Yeah. No, I mean, I know personally, like I even as a miler now, I like can't wait for the day that I run a marathon because I come from the mindset of like I just like running and I enjoy practices and pushing myself and I like racing, but I also, if you just told me I get to run, you know, 15 miles every day, I'm pretty happy with that. Absolutely. Kyle, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to do this. This has been fascinating and, you know, following the Long Island Mile now for a couple of years from afar has been fun. And I just really appreciate everything you're doing. And if people are more interested in it, what's the best place for them to go? Um, I guess the best place is longislandmile.com, but uh, follow me on Twitter at the Real Merb. That's our. That's probably where I get most of the information out in the world. All right, thank you, Kyle. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much, Kyle. Thanks again for hopping on this show. I really appreciate it, and I kind of feel bad. We spoke so long on this episode, and it really didn't touch on Kyle's own running. And I really, you know. Give him a give him a look. He's as as he mentioned. He's on Twitter at the Real Merb. He's also on Instagram. He is an elite runner. There's no question about that. So check him out as a runner, but also check out the Long Island Mile because it's a it's a big deal. As you heard, you know, he also had Emily Sisson and Molly Huddle there this year, which is also I mean, shoot, you're not going to find uh, better runners anywhere in the world than those two. So. They're doing great things, and he's doing great things, not only as a race director, but also as an athlete. So thanks again for coming on. Also, thanks to Megaton Coffee and TuneUp CBD. You can use code RAMBLING on both of those websites to save some extra dough when you're buying high-quality products that I know I trust and use every day. Thank you so much for listening, rating, reviewing, and sharing this show. It warms my heart when you do those things. Thank you so much, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of In Post Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry.